pray that over this service as well, that as we offer up songs of praise and as we come to you in prayer and as we come to your word, Father, we pray that you would bless us and that you would meet us here. And and especially now as we turn to your word, Father, we want to hear you speak to us. We want to hear you speak powerfully and clearly to each one of us. We want to know how you've called us to live. And so we pray that you would speak and that anything that may distract us from hearing your word, anything that may hinder us from hearing your word, we pray that you would remove it and that you'd speak directly to our minds and hearts and stir our hearts to love you more as a result. And all God's people said, Amen. I wanted to change something up because this song kind of came up as we were talking about our passage. It's a really short song. We're only going to sing this phrase twice. So if I wasn't clear, just so all the musicians know too, we're going to sing, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, as a way to, to worship our God, but as a way to also remind ourselves the power of God's word as we come to God's word. So, so let's stand and we're going to sing this phrase twice before we come to God's word. Continuing, actually we're finishing, kind of, working our way through the book of Ecclesiastes. We're, we're finishing the last chapter today, and then on Thanksgiving Eve we're going to jump back to the middle of the book for just a short reflection on how this book has reminded us of being living lives of thankfulness in this world. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open them to Ecclesiastes Chapter 11, verse 7, it's a longer passage, um, but then we're going to read through the very end of the book. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Be happy, young man. While you are young, let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart. Cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light of the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree 
blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred. Then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now, all has been heard, and here is the conclusion to the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. That's the word of God. Well, this passage is uh, full of a ton of imagery, isn't it? I mean, it's just like one big poem. Um, But these two images just kind of grabbed hold of me this week. This image of, of a goad which is not a word that we ever use, and, and a nail. And uh, they're, they're two different things, and he talks about them as it comes to the end of the, the book, and he's reflecting on everything that was written. It says, not only was the teacher, the one who wrote this book, not only was he wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered, and he searched out, and he set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, and their collected sayings are like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. So it says this book is filled with wisdom and knowledge, and and the wisdom and knowledge in it is going to function like a goad, and it's going to function like a nail. And both of them are sharp, pointed objects, but they both have actually opposite purposes. If you don't know what a goad is, it's basically a cattle prod. And so if, if you've ever worked on a farm or if you've ever worked with farm animals, you know that they rarely go where they need to go, <laughs> at least of their own free will. They they're more often want to go the opposite direction of where you want them to go or what's even where it's good for them to go. And so you need to encourage them a little bit. And so... Uh, back when this was written, they used a thing called a goad, which was just a sharp stick, a stick with a sharp point on the end, and they would encourage the animal <laughs> to keep moving when it needed to keep moving or to go in the direction that it needed to go. And so they'd keep poking it and, and making sure it was going where it needed to go. And so a goad is used to keep something moving. But a nail is used to keep something firm, isn't it? Right? If, I mean, both are sharp. They're both, you, you know, they both have a sharp point on them. And yet, a goad is used to make something move and a nail is used to make something stay firm. And if there's something that you have that's moving and it shouldn't move, 
You either use a nail or you use duct tape, right? <laughs> either one. But, but a nail keeps things firm and steadfast and fixed. And what it says is everything that we've been learning in this book functions as a goad and a nail. It's not one or the other. It actually functions as both at the same time, which seems kind of paradoxical, right? I mean, how can these words on the one hand make us move and on the, under, on the other hand keep us holding firm, steadfast, and not move? And, and there's this balance going on in the Proverbs that I love or in this book of Ecclesiastes where as we read them, I know that I've been provoked as I've been preaching through this, right? I've been kind of poked and prodded and provoked through it to kind of keep moving, to keep doing the things that God has called me to do and, and to think a little bit differently. So I've been goaded the whole time. And yet, it says they function like nails to make sure that we stand firm in one place. That, that when we're driving down the road and we're starting to swerve into one ditch, and he pokes us a little bit and says, don't go there. You don't go, oh no! And you swerve and then you go all the way off into the other side of the ditch. The Proverbs function like nails to kind of keep us heading in the right direction. And, and I was thinking about this, and as many of you know, I grew up on a farm, and so I think about farm things. And uh, I couldn't help about vaccinating cows. Because you need kind of both of these things when you're doing that, right? When you're vaccinating cows, you need... You need equipment to encourage them to move because they don't want to move. And you need guidance to make sure they move in the right place <laughs> and that they stop moving at the right time. And so you have cattle prods and you have shoots and you have head catches to kind of grab a hold of them when they need to stop and to keep them moving in the right place. And that's what the Proverbs function for us. Not only just the book of Ecclesiastes, but all of Scripture functions to prod us, to keep us moving when we don't want to move, to make us a little uncomfortable when we've become too comfortable. And yet it says, move, but, but move here, not here. If you move here, things are not going to work out well for you. But if you move here, it will be good. And, and the interesting thing is, as I was thinking about this, we, both, we need both of these things in our lives. Don't we? Every, every human being needs someone or something kind of goading them along. And yet we also need these nails in our lives to kind of keep us firm and fixed and steadfast. And as I was thinking about that this week, I, I recognized that you actually can't have either of them if you reject God. That, remember, this whole book, the point of Ecclesiastes is to make a stark contrast between a life tried to live out rejecting God and a life lived out accepting that there is a God and living in accordance with that. And, and his point as he's coming to the end of here, if you reject God, if you pretend like there is no God, then there is no nail in your life. There's nothing firm and fixed in your life because there's no one to draw boundaries. There's no one to pound that nail. And so everything ends up being movable, fixable. You're always walking on shifting sand. Nothing ever stays the same. And people try because they know we can't live that way. And so we try to pound our own nails in certain places. We try to draw our own boundaries in places. And yet in five or ten years, all of a sudden what happens? 
the boundary moves, the nail's pulled, it's put in a different place. And what the reality is, is if a boundary moves and if a nail changes its position, it was never firm and fixed in the first place. And so you can't have this firm, fixed foundation apart from God. You need that. And you also don't really have a goad or anything to poke and provoke you or motivate you if you reject God. Because there is no direction if there is no God. If there is no God, there's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's nothing. And so you can't be motivated or prodded to go in a direction because there is no direction to go. And again, this whole book has been about people realizing that. Those who have rejected God, they realize that. And yet they try to create meaning and purpose in other places, right? They try to find meaning in their, I'm going to find all of my meaning and my purpose in my work. And he says, you try that, eventually you're going to get hurt. And you're not going to work anymore. Meaning and purpose goes out the window. And so you try to find meaning and purpose in, in being successful and making money. A pandemic's going to hit. It's going to cause you to lose everything. And all of your purpose and meaning is gone. You're going to try to find purpose and meaning in being a successful athlete and you're going to blow your knee out. And you're going to lose all your purpose and meaning. And his point is when, when we reject God and try to create purpose and meaning in our life, somewhere else it always crumbles into meaningless, meaningless. All is meaningless. That's that phrase. And that's not saying that the Christian life is that, but the, the life who has rejected God, everything boils down to meaninglessness. And so you can only have this true motivation and this true meaning by embracing God, by recognizing that there is a God and following Him. And one of the things that, that kind of struck me this week is he's talking about kind of needing to be prodded along and needed to be held firm. And he's talking about it in the context of enjoying life. Now, does that sound funny to you? That we need to be prodded along to actually enjoy life sometimes. You think we just kind of want to do it. But he says, no, I need to take a sharp stick and poke you in the backside a little bit and say, Enjoy life. And then I need to pound in a nail every once in a while and say, but not there, because that's not going to work out well for you. And, uh, and he, he, he gives us these boundaries, and we kind of realize why we need to be poked a little bit to enjoy life, because it can be hard, right? I mean, it, life can be hard. And, and he goes into, he goes into this really long, I'm going to read the whole thing because I think it's powerful. This long explanation with a whole bunch of images of how life can be hard as we grow old and as our bodies fail. He says, he's talking to young people, he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop when the grinders cease because they're few and those looking through the windows grow dim when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades when people rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets when the almond tree 
blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember your Creator before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the Spirit returns to God who gave it meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. He says there are going to be days that are coming that you say, I find no pleasure in these days. Or, I find no joy in these days. I do not enjoy these days. And he gives us this vivid description of what those days are going to look like. He says, the sun and the moon and the stars grow dark. Your vision starts to fade slowly. The windows go dim. He says, the keepers of the house begin to tremble and the strong men Stoop, your body begins to get weak and shaky, and your body starts to be bent over. It says the grinders are few because your teeth are starting to fall out. The doors to the street are closed, and the sound of grinding fades because our hearing is slowly going away. You awake at the sound of a bird because you can't sleep very well. <laughs> You wake up early and often and you never feel like you sleep deeply. And even though, it's, he says, even though you can hardly hear the birds because your, your hearing is going, you're still waking up at the sound of birds. And, but then he says, the day will come when the silver cord is severed, the golden bowl is broken, the dust will return to dust, and our spirit will return to the God who gave it. The day will come when our bodies will completely fail and will die. And he says, these are not easy days. You will say, I find no pleasure in these days. Some have said that growing old is not for wimps. (laughs) Because it's tough. And it's easy to say that. It's easy to say, I find no joy in these days. And it's easy to even slowly slip into despair and displeasure and frustration and bitterness and crabbiness. And yet he says, However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. Even the days when your body's falling apart. He says, doesn't matter how many years you live. You may live 20 years. You may live 80 years. You may live 100 years. But I'm going to poke you with a stick and say, make sure you enjoy every single one of them. But it's going to be hard because your body's going to hurt. You're not going to feel like getting up in the morning. You're not able to do the things you want to do. Your body doesn't function the way you want it to function. But he says you're still alive. God has still given you breath in your lungs. And he's still given you this day. So rejoice in it. And he says enjoy it. And he says, so what if you can't do the things you used to do? That's what young people do. (laughs) Do what old people do. That's okay. (laughs) Accept it. You can still do things and you can enjoy the things that you can do. So do them and enjoy every single year and every single day. 
But then he talks to the young people as well, because young people have a similar problem. It's just a little different. He says the same thing in, in two different ways. He says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And then he says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I find no pleasure in them. I'm going to draw an arbitrary line here and say that anyone who's considered a youth is someone like under the age of 50, maybe 60. If if you want to be in that category, just put yourself there. That's okay. But he's not only talking to teenagers, even though he is talking to teenagers. But he says, what you need to do is rejoice in the days of your youth because the day is going to come when your body is going to break down and it's going to fall apart and it's going to be a lot harder to rejoice in the Lord. And what he's doing is he's addressing a particular temptation, not only for teenagers, but it's really there for teenagers But even for all of us as we grow older, it's this temptation to actually despise our youth and be frustrated because I can't do these things because I'm not old enough to do them yet. And so you can live your entire life always waiting to be older, always waiting. I can't wait till I'm in middle school. I can't wait till I have my driver's license. I can't wait till I'm an adult. And then after you turn 18, it becomes I can't wait till I... Retire. (laughs) That's why I said maybe it leads all the way up to 65. I don't know. And he says you end up despising your youth, always wanting to be older. And he says, are you kidding me? Why would you want to be older? Your body hurts. Just be happy that you can work. You can go to work every day and do something. My body hurts. It's hard for me to like enjoy your youth. Enjoy what's going on right in front of you. Don't lose the days that He's giving you now because you want something else. Rest where you're at and enjoy it. And He says this line that kind of catches us all off guard and I want to explain what He means a little bit. He says, follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. And we might think, wait a second. Doesn't the Bible say the heart is deceitful and wicked beyond belief? Why would he tell you to follow your heart? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a, a saying today, for, and I would say that's a saying of not wisdom that comes from anyone who's actually rejected God. So what's he saying then? What he's pointing out is he's not saying just follow your heart and do whatever you see. He's saying enjoy what's going on in front of your face right now, Right? Enjoy what's going on right now in front of you. Don't, don't always be looking toward the future. Don't always be wishing something was better or different. No, you've got things going on right in front of your face right now. You've got things going on in your heart right now. Rejoice in them now. Rejoice in the fact that you're still young. Or even rejoice in the fact that you're not dead. You're still alive. But then he drives a nail in the ground and he says, okay, young people, follow the ways of your heart, whatever your eyes see, but know this, all these things, God will bring you into judgment. He drives this nail in the ground, says, enjoy life, live life, live it to the full, but know that everything you do will one day be judged by God, whether good or bad. He may look at you and you say, 
good job for doing this. And he may look at you and say, why did you do that? But it's all going to happen. And, and he says it again. He says right at the end of the book, the very last verse of the book, he says, God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or whether it's evil. So he says, enjoy your life, but also know that everything you say and do, everything that's going on, even in your heart, will be judged by God one day. And that's a nail driven in the ground, a spike in the ground to kind of keep us in line as we live life. But one of the things that I thought of, and I think we don't typically think about this when we think of God's judgment, did you realize that one of the things that God will judge you for on the last day is whether you enjoyed the life that He gave you? He's not gonna, I mean, we kind of think about the judgment seat like we're coming before this, this crabby, stoic God and He's going to just pound us into the dirt. But He's the one who has commanded us over and over and over to rejoice, to enjoy life. And so I think that there will be people who stand before God on the judgment day and He's going to judge them and say, you did not have enough fun. I mean, look at all the gifts that I gave you. Look at the beautiful creation that I gave you. Look at all the amazing food that I gave you. Look at all the opportunities I gave you. And you were so serious about everything. And so worried about this and so worried about that that you never took the time to enjoy it. He said, enjoy the life that, I, that He's given you. And so I think that there will be people judged for not, for, who have taken life too seriously and didn't live life to the full. So not only is that a nail in the ground to kind of keep us on track, but it should also be kind of a, a kick in the rear end to start enjoying the life God has given us. And he ends the book saying, if you want to enjoy the life that God has given you, here's how you do it. He says, here's, here's the point of everything I've been writing for the last 12 chapters. All has been heard. Here's the conclusion. Fear God. Keep His commandments. That's the duty of all mankind. That's Every human being on the earth has been created for that purpose. Fear God. Keep His commandments. And he says that is the key to enjoying life. Contrary to popular opinion, right? The psalm we read at the beginning, right, talks about all the people gathering together and saying, throw off the bonds of God. Get rid of the shackles that He puts on you. Go live your life. Do what you want to do. You're going to enjoy life if you do that. And this guy says, been there, done that, tried it all, didn't work. And I've watched it. I've watched it. And people in my life who you get to a point and they say, I'm going to just go enjoy my life. I'm sick of this Christianity stuff. I'm just going to throw it all off and do go wherever my heart leads me. And they find that their heart leads them to meaninglessness and despair. And to not actually enjoying life. And they end up wandering around meaningless, no purpose, no direction, and no joy. And he tells us, the reality is, we can actually enjoy life when we begin to live our life fearing God. Living in awesome wonder of who God is, what He has done, and the gifts that He just keeps pouring out on us. That frees us up to live life. 
to enjoy our lives and and to keep his commandments when we live lives keeping his commandments we actually are living life the way he has created us to live that's why it works of course we're going to mess up but to actually enjoy life is to live life the way that he has created us to live and you can't enjoy your life truly apart from god if you've rejected god your ability to really, really enjoy life has been taken away from you. Which is why Jesus said, He said, hey, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's why Christ came into the world. He said, any life you try to live apart from Christ results in death and results in destruction. Any life that that has tried to be lived not fearing God and not keeping His commandments ends up being meaningless destruction and joylessness. Because apart from Christ, we're trapped in our sin and death. We're captivated. We cannot, apart from Christ, you cannot fear God and keep His commandments because you're enslaved in your sin. So Christ said, I came. I came into the world. I lived And I died and I rose again so that I could set you free from your sin, forgive your sin, and give you a new life. And that new life is one that is full. Life to the full. Life overflowing with joy. And he said, I did that and I'm working in you to do that. And you're going to start living that life and you're going to mess up. And I'm going to be there. I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to kick you in the butt and say, keep going. Trust me. And then you're going to fall down. He's going to pick you up again and say, keep moving. And that is the Christian life. And it's the Christian life that is a life that is full. It's learning to actually enjoy life. So we're called in Christ to look to Him in faith and trust Him for the forgiveness of our sins, but also to look to Him in faith and trust to renew us and to give us this ability to enjoy life. And so we live every day taking the next step trusting Him, taking the next step trusting Him, recognizing that this is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let's, let's come to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give You so much thanks for the way that You work in our world and in our lives We thank you for the hope that you have given us, that we can actually find joy and peace in this life through you. And Father, we come to you, we ask your forgiveness for the repeated times where we try to find joy and peace and purpose in ourselves and and we look away from you. And uh, we just pray that you would not only forgive us, but, but fill us with your spirit anew and turn our eyes to look to you again so we can take each step trusting you and enjoying the life that you've given us. Father, help us to do that. Poke us if we need to. Hold us firm with various nails, but but help us to really, truly enjoy the life that you've given us. And help us to live lives that bring glory and honor to you. And all God's people said, Amen.